0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Danger Room, the X Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the uncanny X Men number one hundred and forty eight, the August nineteen eighty one issue, which was on sale May twelfth of nineteen eighty one, and this one is titled Cry Mutant. Or is it Cry Mutant? Yeah. Or is it cry mutant okay that was I <laughs> how many more alternatives are there
1: I only see two it's either a command like cry mutant or cry mutant <laughs> but so I don't know either way
2: cry cry mutant
1: it's a takeoff of that song from the lost boys cry little sister
2: cry little sister cry, little sister
1: A little mutant this cover is chock full of well m-
0: messiness it's a cockroom cover it's got a weird shadowy, non-penciled figure you yep. must have been screwing around with the inks
1: yeah, and there's a yeah. lightning bolt going through the shadowy character
0: coming from storm's hands
1: and above storm there's a spider woman flying around
0: and uh, the shadowy figure is holding a unconscious kitty pride.
1: And in the lower right-hand corner, there's a cameo bubble that has Dazzler in it. Dazzler!
0: And it I says... It's strange that the shadow, the purple shadow goes over the heads of Nightcrawler and Angel in the little hmm. uh, number, numbering...
1: Yeah, the thing. little number box. Yeah. Uh, I I agree.
0: Um... Dazzler and Spider-Woman to the rescue when Kitty falls to the shadow of death. That's not really a very good description of what happens therein, but okay.
1: Yeah, Cry Mutant is a, a little bit better of a title. This this is a good—I I like this issue, but uh, not for the cover. <laughs> and and we can talk about that at the end of it. But uh, we open up this thing, and it is written by Chris Claremont. It is uh, drawn by Dave Cockrum, inked by Joe Joseph Rubenstein. Janice Chang is lettering. So that's a new letterer for us, which is makes sense because I couldn't read this issue at all. <laughs> you're just you're not supposed to letter a comic book in cursive. I'm sorry. Glennis Ween is the colorist. Luis Jones is the editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor in
0: chief. It's true. And and we we, uh, we begin where we left off with Scott Summers and a let you just. Alright, we we need to figure out how to pronounce this. El I'm gonna I'm go Aletis.
1: Well, since her um nickname or whatever is Lee, I'm gonna go with Alites. Aletis.
0: Aletis? I like Aletes.
1: Let's go with Alites. That's Alides is not good, but Alides is good.
0: Alites. Okay. Perfect. Alites Forester. Both half naked for some reason.
1: Oh, man, this is like this is like um, uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit models here. Uh, I guess
0: they crashed onto an island and somehow lost all their clothes. Oh,
1: man, Scott is, like, wearing these just really tight, um, low-cut cutoffs, and his abs are bulging out, and his pecs are just ripped. And then Lee is next to him. She's all dainty, and she's got even shorter shorts. She's got her T-shirt on, but, like, Everything is ripped off except for one little shoulder harness. Oh, man.
0: Oh, man.
1: It's good stuff. <laughs> and they're, they're wet and shiny. And so the thing in the background, though, Adam, to me, uh, looks like a uh, Planet of the Apes uh, ape statue head.
0: <laughs> it could be a Planet of the Apes reference. <laughs> uh,
1: so I expect that the next panel will be a bunch of uh, apes riding around horses, rounding up humans.
0: Well, no, because this, was, this would be the Statue of Liberty, so this would be Ape World, so it would be a bunch of humans <laughs> not apes.
1: Oh, it's like reverse Planet of the Apes. It's Planet of the right. Humans. Right. <laughs> so they were on the beach last issue, and now they are actually entering this little city. Uh, Lee is trying to explain to Scott what it is, and Scott, I don't know, he's just talking.
0: She's not doing a very good job. But to be honest, Scott, I'm not quite sure I can describe it, so I'm not really going to try. It's old.
1: <laughs> yes, it God is. I tell you that. So the first, underwater. The, the first page was a uh, one-page spread. The next two pages is a big two-page spread of this giant city with a couple of panels in the lower right-hand corner.
0: So should we just go with Elidice and not try to describe it, or should we should we give it a shot? Go ahead uh <laughs> let's see there's a guardian statue which is tentacled many many tentacles it's very uh sea based the uh the the logo for shell gas is all over the place
1: oh yeah yeah it's upside down though
0: you well it's right side up on the uh oh there on, i see uh, over in the right hand corner yep um whatever it is it clearly come it's it's uh comes from the sea. Yeah. There's a lot of sea creatures involved, uh, statues of sea creatures. It looks like the statue that we mentioned before, the Planet of the Apes statue, is broken in half. We can see its legs, and it fell down, and it's holding a sword.
1: Mm-hmm. Just like the apes did.
0: Right. Mm-hmm when they were holding that sword
1: didn't they have swords i'm, I'm talking about the uh, the old one i'm not talking about these new ones
0: i haven't seen the new ones i've only seen the old ones
1: oh okay um so lee doesn't even try to explain it the way adam did she doesn't she's like oh, that's old it's a city i don't know <laughs> here we are and then skyclops is having a problem because he's like "Ah." Oh, uh, uh, I'm having a hard time dealing with being led around like this. Blindfolded as I am, I feel so blasted helpless. To each clouded silver lining, at least you're spared the sight of our shocking state
2: of wardrobe. Uh,
1: what wardrobe?
2: My point exactly.
1: So Lee would like to take advantage of this situation.
2: I've got three breasts. <laughs> I don't want you to see that.
1: And so Cyclops, as uh, they're wandering through this little city, is thinking about how his optic blasts are kept in check by his blindfold, and Lee he, saw, says, he,
0: he says it's been two days since Lee learned of my optics blasts, but like didn't didn't like wasn't that the same panel that that she discovered the city like wasn't that a couple panels later or
1: um no um uh, no, it was it was not. yeah it was in the midst of a big storm that storm was was raging and then uh the scene that you see which as you read the comic book you expect is next day is them waking up right
0: uh, and okay. then they
1: see the city so the one day two days i don't know it's a little sketchy but
0: one day two days optic blasts.
1: <laughs> it's essentially what this is going on here uh so he's just thinking and thinking about all that um Lee is more concerned about food and water and clothing and people.
0: And she's more concerned about making out with Scott. She says, uh, we've sheltered abundance. Care to take advantage of it? And then she she gives him a big old kiss.
1: And he, he starts to go for it. He's kind of into it. But then he pulls away. And that's when Lee guesses. Is it Jean?
0: Her name was Jean Gray. We were in love. She died. I like you, Lee. I care for you too, too much, but it's too soon. I don't want to get involved again. And that's when she flips out. I'm not asking for involvement. I just want cheap, dirty sex. (laughs) And she runs away. That's essentially
1: what I read out of this thing. This is what really tells me that Chris Claremont just hasn't gotten the feel for writing women. Like, I don't know.
0: she says, I'm not asking for involvement. I know how you feel. I know about grief and loss. We buried my father two months ago, remember? But I'm cold and hungry and scared, and I need a little human compassion and warmth and make-out time. If that's more than you can give, then the blazes to you, and she runs off. I'm cold
1: and hungry and scared, and all I want to do is have sex.
0: <laughs> I don't know. like. And if you're not willing to have sex, then I'm leaving you here. Not only
1: that, they haven't bathed in well, like three or four days. They haven't eaten in three or four days. I gotta be honest. I I just don't think that that would be the first thing on her mind.
0: Yeah, coming into a place, they don't know if they're alone. They're in this huge, like, kind of scary, like, place that just appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, and it, and she's just like, "Let's do it."
1: Yeah, it's not <laughs> like they found like a little closet off to the side that's super dark and discreet. No, they're well, well, not
0: only that, but I mean, if like, let's say you were even like with your wife, and like, you know you go to a place and you've never been there before and you're there, you're, you're kind of exploring, you don't, you you're lost. You don't know where you are. Is your first instinct? You're like, well, we're here. We might as well do it.
1: <laughs> um, no, probably not my first thought, but it's probably in the top five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So she runs off. And, uh, so Cyclops is now blaming himself for her running off. Like he was too hard on her. He's a real creep. And really, you know, you read this whole thing and you're like, he's the only rational one of the two. Where he's like, look, I, I just got over a traumatic relationship where the woman I love died. <laughs> we haven't eaten in three or four days. Yeah, I I don't really want to have sex right now. Maybe someday soon, but not right now.
0: And plus, I need time to get over the plus, death of the woman I loved.
1: Plus, remember a couple of days ago when I was shooting laser beams out of my eyes? It's probably something you want to talk about before I stare at you, <laughs> even though I have a blindfold on. But, anyways, so I he's. Would, she,
0: uh, maybe she just wants to make out with him and just like for a couple of hours or something. <laughs> maybe we're jumping to in conclusions. Maybe That's it's like not the that like she wants. Yeah.
1: He goes in for a feel and she's like, What the hell are you doing? I just want to make out. Oh, I see. You're one of those. <laughs> So he's he's feeling around, he can't find anything, and eventually he trips over some uh some some debris, falls down, and he's oh it's so hard with this blindfold and then he decides that uh if he could the irony is that he could see perfectly if he would just open his eyes.
0: Which he does, rips off the blindfold, opens his eyes, shooting straight up into the sky. Hitting the ceiling, a bunch of rubble falls straight down. Probably, probably somewhere nearby.
1: That's
0: mm-hmm. pretty dangerous.
1: Absolutely. Well, he, even Cyclops calls himself out on. He's like, "What am I doing? I could have been smashed. Uh, I could have smashed anything, killed anyone in my line of sight." And then he goes on about his ruby quartz glasses containing his beams, yada yada stuff we've heard before. My eyes, my deadly
2: eyes.
1: Basically, uh, I can never lead a normal life. But will wallowing in self pity change that? Make things better? No. So at well,
0: least regardless, I'm going to do it forever. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'll never stop. So he reattaches his blindfold and starts to hear uh, footsteps. And that's when a, I'm convinced here, slightly more naked Lee comes walking in and apologizes.
0: <laughs> why Why is she slightly more naked?
1: Well, the the uh, the left side of her, what's left of her shirt seems to be hanging lower on her breast than it was before.
0: Oh, well. I don't know.
1: But I guess she was running around so so maybe it kind of wore itself down. Regardless,
0: I guess, I guess it's it's random from panel to panel.
1: Yeah. Uh she apologizes, he apologizes. Um Scott says that he's afraid of uh taking another risk and of being hurt.
0: So let's just let's just assume this is all like the emotions are running high, everybody's a little scared. Her first instinct was to make out, you know, it it wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly crazy. She just like she just didn't know what to do, and then she ran away because mm-hmm. she felt the hurt of rejection. Sure, and yep. then and then she got you know five feet away, and she was like, "I'm being stupid." Yeah, no,
1: I, I buy that. I buy well, the second. Why did her- I try to make
0: out with that dude.
1: I, I buy the second half of the story. It's just the first part I have kind of a <laughs> problem with. Not even a problem. It's just a comic book. But then they get themselves into a. A uh, very sexy, almost moonlit embrace.
0: I'm sorry, too. I didn't mean to slap you down. I, I'm i afraid, Lee, of taking another risk of being hurt.
3: Life is a risk all the way down the line.
0: I'm glad you came back. I need you.
3: We,
1: I think it's her. We need each other. So their pants are now falling down off of their hips. I mean, look at this. This is, this is like very close to softcore porn in a Marvel comic book.
0: They're pretty much doing it for the rest of the issue.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the pants come all the way off at some point, and uh, (laughs) the music starts up. (laughs) like, I don't care who's watching. Just let yourself be free. Meanwhile, though, back at uh, the Westchester Mansion...
0: We get a uh, wide shot of Wolverine on the hunt.
1: Mm -hmm. Nightcrawler is in a tree, and uh, he's thinking to himself that Wolverine's following his trail... Talking a little bit about strategies, how he went into the woods, but then doubled back, teleporting up, So, uh, trying to work with the breeze so that the brimstone scent would go um, elsewhere so that Wolverine wouldn't be able to smell it.
0: And Wolverine stops and he thinks, oops, I may have spoken too soon. And then Wolverine disappears right before his eyes.
1: What? He has got another mutant power we didn't know about? Unglaublich! He disappeared, but where did he go?
0: Nightcrawler bamps down to the ground like a fool.
1: Well, no, no, he he uh, waits and watches for any sign of his friend. But when, after a long while, nothing stirs, then he teleports down.
0: You don't teleport down to the ground. You teleport over to another tree or something.
1: Hey, I'm, the teleportation was uh, down to the ground was a stupid move, but it wasn't right away. So, like, he thought about it. Maybe that's even stupider is that he actually thought about it for a long while and then teleported down.
0: Well, at any rate, it turns out to be a stupid move because Wolverine sucker punches him from out of nowhere, draws his claws, snick it, and then games over elf and you lose and stabs Nightcrawler just above the shoulder.
1: Wolverine, don't!
0: Shucks, I missed. Scared you, didn't I? Serves you right after making a dumb butt move like that, you dumb butt. (laughs) I am not a dumb butt. I called you a dumb butt, so you're a dumb butt. Dumb butt.
1: Wolverine, I, why don't you go back to fun, sir?
0: <laughs> dumb butt.
1: <laughs> uh, Wolverine's disappearance rattled Nightcrawler. Wolverine explains that it's an old ninja trick, standing in plain sight without being seen. It's a trick he learned in Japan. And he goes, ah, and he So goes, we're getting
0: a little backstory on Wolverine's Japanese times uh, time in Japan. Mm hmm it's probably where you also learned the phrase dumb butt.
1: <laughs> in Japan we learn a phrase dumb butt. <laughs> uh and so this is kind of the birth of the uh hide and seek or tag games that they play in which the loser has to buy the beer. We had
0: it fun enjoy these improvised training sessions a heck of a lot more than our workouts in the danger room, especially since the loser always buys the beer and you always lose. It's a lot of fun for me.
1: (laughs) I get to get really drunk.
0: (laughs) Except I can't.
1: So so I'm pretty sure that up to this point in our podcast, the only time this beer thing has been referenced has been in classic X-Men. So I believe this is the first appearance of that.
0: We also don't know that Wolverine can't really get drunk yet. We do not know that. I'm sorry. Spoilers.
1: (laughs) Damn it, Adam. Well, on the next page...
0: I feel like such a dumb butt.
1: (laughs) Adam, you, today's word is dumb butt. (laughs) Each time you hear Adam utter the words dumb butt, take a sip.
0: Of your rum and coke or your danger, your fastball special.
1: So meanwhile, in the mansion's dining room, we get a panel of uh, Angel basically calling Wolverine to task to the professor, Moira, and Ororo. Saying, basically, Wolverine is dangerous.
0: Not only that, but... He's a born killer. When he faced Doctor Doom's robot version of you, he destroyed it without an instant hesitation. All right, all right. Maybe it was his hand since it told him it was a robot. But would it have made any difference if it, he'd faced a woman disguised as you? That doesn't. I think, I, I think it would. None of that
1: logic makes any sense.
0: I think not. And it scares me, Professor. You're the world's greatest authority on mutants and founded the X-Men. You know us probably better than we know ourselves. No. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you willing to really say that, Angel? I'd like to assume you have a logical reason for keeping that little psychopath around. I've tried to relate to him, work with him, but the more I get to know him, the answer I get, Professor Storm, I'm at the point where I'm not sure I, I want to belong to any outfit that has Wolverine as a member. And just to show you how mad I am, I'm going to fly off without hearing anybody like uh, respond to any of my claims.
1: I think it's important to mention, though, here that almost all of that dialogue there that you recited was done with him flying out the window. So, the, like, the <laughs> so, last two-thirds... So they're third- like, what? <laughs> yeah, the last two-thirds of it, they're all like, I don't I don't know what he's saying.
0: <laughs> Basically, Angel went off on a tirade and didn't listen to anybody, anybody's response and has just left the X-Men because of it.
1: So, I'm wondering, like, in the Marvel bullpen, if... You know, Dave Cockrum and Chris Claremont are shooting back and forth ideas, and Dave Cockrum is like, "You know who I hate drawing? Angel." <laughs> Chris Claremont's like, "No problem. <laughs> Here's some dialogue. Run with it." And they're like, "Okay, we can get rid of him in five panels. Boom, done." Because like, he's a major character. He's a he's a founding member of the X Men. He's been with us uh, for the last, I don't know, how many issues? Eight issues, or at least um, something like that. Yeah, and and we're just like, okay, goodbye.
0: See ya. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would have thought that this would have made like an inter... Maybe they were trying to incorporate this as a plot point, but you know, just basically it's Exit Angel at this point. But
0: Strange that Iceman didn't want, want to stick around. I guess he had college, so yeah. he went back to college.
1: And Havok and Lorna Dane, they must have headed back to uh, New Mexico.
0: Spoilers, we will next see Angel in Avengers. Oh, But not for a couple of months.
1: So... Uh, well, Storm must have supersonic hearing because she does hear all of Angel's tirade as he's flying away out of the window. Because she answers and says,
3: "Does that include the human race?" Ho 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 ho! I got him! <laughs> Zing! Uh,
1: she abhors Wolverine's violent nature, but uh, he's uh, he's got a he's he has a potential for good, and it's our duty as an X Men to help him achieve that potential. Blah 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 blah.
0: You're preaching to the choir, says Charles Xavier. I already know that, and also Angel's not here, so why are we still talking about it? This conversation could have
1: ended two panels ago. <laughs> Just let it go. Meanwhile, at the X-Men's hangar, Banshee is working on the Blackbird again.
0: It's Gotta do something.
1: Was it broken? I thought Nightcrawler and Wolverine fixed it up a couple issues ago.
0: They did a terrible job.
1: <laughs> they got it back they're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe we were flying in around in this death trap.
0: Does this mean the danger room was fixed now that they're working on the blackbird? <laughs> I don't know." <laughs>
1: So he banshee has colossus picking up an engine, and Banshee's is uh, torching something or, or welding something to the blackbird. Alana is in the corner, and she's very happy.
0: Ooh. Alana or Ilyana? We had this discussion.
1: We're still waiting for our listeners to correct one of us, but until that point, I'm going to go with Alana.
0: And her Latin— well, well, her lat. Okay, there's something we must know, not know something about Russian names, because he calls her Ilyana. Not, not no, Navna.
1: Oh, that's got to be her middle name though Because she, she goes, oh, Pyotr Nikolaevich Which is his middle name Right So I think maybe her full name is Ileana Natilanovna Rausputin
0: So we still don't know what Magneto was talking about back in issue 141
1: Yeah, and what did he call him again?
0: Oh, I'm not going to go look
1: Piotr... Uh, <laughs> damn it, I don't think I have it in this issue
0: I went back and looked last issue, so just go back to the last episode.
1: (laughs) But we have to remember it, because someday it'll come back.
0: And when it does, we'll remember.
1: All right, fine.
0: And it'll be an amazing day.
1: So um, they're talking to each other in Russian, uh, but we don't know that, actually. There's little brackets around their dialogue.
0: Yeah, I guess... We're smart enough to figure it out at that point.
1: Although so, um, there's missing a closing bracket in one of um, Colossus's dialogue boxes.
0: Well, because he starts speaking in Russian and finishes in English.
1: Um yeah, I don't know if I could make that assumption. You no, don't. You yeah. don't. <laughs> so this guest letter has really screwed us. We don't know. Like, now they're all... Because it's an opening bracket. Like, everything after that has to be uh, in Russian. Because we're looking for the closing. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Banshee knows Russian. And you know.
0: Well, no, because the following one is Ilyana, and that closes. So.
1: No, no, it still leaves... Because now you have two opens and one closed. Don't you remember your order of operations in math? Oh, you have man. to close it, it off!
0: Yeah, but if if... The last, like, uncommenting always closes everything off. No. I'm thinking thinking of logic, like, programming-based languages. Have
1: you ever programmed something and forgotten the last bracket and then kept typing? All of that stuff that you type on the end of it is still considered the same as the beginning statement.
0: Depends on what language you're in. You have to close it off. Depends on what language you're in. And we're in Russian, where apparently you don't have to close it off. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Will
2: I be able to turn to steel like you when I am grown up?
1: Uh, I do not know, Eliana. Do you want to?
2: I think I would look funny.
1: What's she saying, Peter? Banshee finally chimes in.
0: She wonders if she is a mutant. Professor Xavier contacted our parents to tell them she is safe. Perhaps before she returns to Russia, he should examine her.
1: Banshee notes that Colossus sounds a little sad. Maybe he's a little homesick. But before he can continue on with that line of uh, dialogue, Nightcrawler teleports in uh, without a BAMF.
0: Without a BAMF, uh, we do get a uh, Ileana covering her nose just to remind us that it stinks.
3: That's stinky, Peter Niklevich.
1: And he says, uh, Nightcrawler just teleported in to say, uh, The professor wants to see you in the mansion, Sean.
0: Tell him I'll be along uh, along directly as soon as I've tidied up. To
1: find Auf in. Bam. He teleports off.
0: This is, and then we, uh, it turns out that Charles is not in the waiting room, but instead it's one Teresa Rourke. Hmm. Who hands Banshee a letter, which, Teresa, do you know what this says?
2: Yeah, no, I do, father. Holy cow, Banshee's a dad.
1: Oh my God, and this is her daughter, his daughter. And then we get a little bit of uh, background. Apparently, Sean Cassidy was married, uh, and then he was deployed. Was he, like, deployed in the military? Duty summoned him away, and when he returned, Maeve O'Rourke Cassidy was dead.
0: Standing over his wife's grave, Sean thought his heart would crack with grief. Now facing the daughter he never knew he had, he wonders if it will break with joy.
1: All of the X-Men – well, actually, the professor has been telepathically eavesdropping uh, and giving the rest of the X-Men, like, hand signals, like, everything's good,
0: everybody. Okay. He's walking in. Okay. Okay. He's reading the letter. All right. All right. All right. Okay. He's happy. He's happy, guys. We got happiness, everybody. Here. Let me me send you some of his happiness. (laughs) Oh, we all feel so
1: happy. Uh, Looks like we have a new X-Men who has joined the ranks. Spider-Woman is just there for no reason.
0: (laughs) Well, she's there because she, you know, in Spider-Woman 37 and 38, that was Teresa Rourke's first appearance as Siren.
1: I know, but the thing is, like, you read that, and that's good, so you know exactly what's happening. But if you're just kind of an X-Men mainstay... Like, you have no idea, like, what's, I mean, it kind of tells you there, but you're like, w- why is Spider-Woman here? It would have been nice to have a panel, just to, like, oh. All it
0: does is his smile tells the X-Men and their guest Spider-Woman that the reunion is all they hoped it would be. And then there's an asterisk, she met the X-Men and met Tracy in SW38. Star Wars 38, cool. Who's Tracy? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Teresa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, all right. Just, just check in there. No, I'm just saying like, I get it. Like it's well annotated so that you could go back and read it, but it would have been nice. Like earlier in the issue, like maybe instead of angel freaking out, you could have been like, Oh, Professor Spider Woman's here. Oh, okay, you guys, there's some milk in the fridge. Help yourself to some cookies, and then like move on with the rest of the story. So then, when you get to this panel, they're like, "Oh, of course, Spider Woman's there."
0: Who is Tracy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, I think it's the letter kind of screwing up. It's like, I can't fit Teresa in this box. I'm just gonna write Tracy. Let
0: me just call her Tracy. <laughs> uh,
1: but the one Voira woman,
0: McTaggart, is a little bit grumpy about the whole thing.
1: Dr. McTaggart. I don't know what Spider Woman's voice would sound like. Would it sound like a spider?
3: Dr. McTaggart, (laughs) is anything the matter?
0: No, Spider Woman, I'm fine. I'm just stepping out for a breath of air.
1: So, out she goes, but storm follows, and basically they have a basically they have a very selfish conversation about how they are jealous of various people in their lives
0: um, and they 're both Moira can 't give Sean a child, and that upsets her, and she 's jealous of the fact that he has a child, and but, now he's he's angry that or she 's angry that her relationship might not be as important and Storm talks about how he she's jealous about Stevie Hunter, Kitty's dance teacher, because it was a, it was a threat to the special relationship Storm has with Kitty, and and uh, they it, decide that they'll survive no matter what happens.
1: None of these people are thinking about the people that they supposedly care for. They're just selfishly thinking about their own feelings and their own sense of uh, intrusion on their relationships with these other people. If they truly but, cared about these other people, they'd be like. Well, you know, it's that person's life, so we're going to see how the chips might fall. I'll always be there for this person, but if it doesn't work out, then, you know, it's all for the best. It's not like Stevie Hunter is a bad person who
0: wants to steal Kitty away. Not to mention the fact that Sean, like, she didn't even tell Sean she had a, a husband.
1: That's true. Or a son, right? So he was even kind of like, wow, I did not know you were still married, but he got over it. Yeah. So, I don't know, like, I read this, and I know what they're trying to get at, but I was like, there should have been something more, because this just seems like a bunch of catty selfishness. (laughs) Anyhow, uh, in the downtown Manhattan, a manhole cover is opened, and a shady man comes out of the manhole. uh, It's Ragman. It does kind of look like Ragman, doesn't it? I didn't read Ragman. I only ever saw the covers. But he had that same kind of trademark hat and covered face.
0: Yeah, he wore rags.
1: Uh, And it says, uh, it has been so long since Caliban has seen the sky. And can I tell you something about Caliban? This is not a spoiler. When I was first reading X Factor, that's where I got my introduction to Caliban. But for whatever reason, like I've said before, I was unable to read. Or look at the letters and what sequence they were in. So I always pronounced his name as Calibian. <laughs> Makes no sense, right? Because you look at it and it's like, nope, that, that is clearly Caliban.
0: Calibian.
1: Calibian. In fact, it's based on a word in the English language, Calibian.
0: Anyhow. Some fans should create a drink called the Calibian.
1: <laughs> yeah, it would have to be a rum drink, right? <laughs> it would have to be white because Caliban is white, right? So it could be like, well, it could just be like milk and rum, I guess.
0: Oh, a could be anything.
1: That's true. That's true. And so he comes out. Uh, he senses some people in a big tower, um, and he's lonely, uh, and other people will chase him and try to kill him. But the ones that he senses are like him, so he feels like he can find them and be their friends forever.
0: He senses his own kind so near so strong there in that building, mm-hmm. that really, really tall building that I'm going to have to go through to get to the top of. But I know buildings pretty well because I live in the sewers.
1: <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to keep track of this man's powers because, I don't know, he uses some that I'm not familiar with. Anyways.
0: Well, maybe maybe he you were thinking of Calivian.
1: Oh, the, the other mutant from the sewers. That could be. Up in the skyscraper, it is Jessica Drew. It is Stevie Hunter, Aurora, and Kitty, all dressed in their plain clothes. They're at the inferior infinity dance club
0: oh i wouldn't call these they're plain clothes they're dressed up for a night on the town they're these are their fine fancy dresses
1: fine i i just meant to say they're not in their x costumes or spider woman costumes
0: i know what you meant but <laughs> you wasn't right. buying it
1: they are in their dancing duds
0: they're here at club infinity to see their buddy dazzler
1: <gasps> another cameo whoa. And they're just kind of having some chit-chat. Kitty's asking Jessica about the private investigator stuff, and whether or not she carries a gun, and what does she get to investigate?
0: Rural steps in says, kitten, calm down. You're pushing the... the you're pushing. There is a fine line between youthful exuberance and rudeness.
1: And I just crossed it, huh? It's stupid. If I was uh, Kitty's age, 14, first of all, I'm with a couple of 19-year-olds, right? Because Storm is 19. I don't. I don't know how old Jessica Drew is. Stevie Hunter's probably 25, maybe. Meanwhile, I'm who let me into this club? And second of all, like if I was with a private investigator, I would be asking those exact same questions. And if the private investigator was so uptight that they wouldn't answer those questions, I'd be like, "This person's a bitch." <laughs> So this is this is why Storm is uptight, because she's always, like, uh, admonishing her or, or nagging her.
3: Don't ask so many questions. Hmm.
1: If I were Kitty, I'd look over at Stevie and be like, Stevie,
3: can I ask her some questions?
0: Well, Stevie agrees with Aurora. She she says right here, you're pretty close to crossing the line, kiddo. I know.
1: So now I'm Kitty. I'm like, what
2: the hell with both of you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go over to that table and ask them a bunch of questions. <laughs> Can I have a sip of your beer?
1: <laughs> well, anyways, the
2: drinking fastball specials. I want a
3: fastball special.
1: So they go. Uh, well, actually, outside of the club, uh, there's a couple of police and a um, woman. I guess I don't know. These must be the bouncers for Club Infinity. And Ragman or Calibian comes out, and he thinks to himself, "What is Caliban's voice? You think?" I don't know. I think um, we're, that one will have to develop over time because. His character changes a lot over time.
0: Humans. I, I, I imagine there's a slight lisp. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Could be, sure. Because he's, he's lonely. He probably hasn't talked to anybody in a long time.
0: He probably speaks very slowly.
1: Could be. Well, they whip out their guns and they're like, hold it, mister, one more step and we'll fire. We're warning you.
0: Why are they so, like, what, what are they... I mean, it's just a homeless dude. What's the problem?
1: Uh, I think they're afraid, like, and this will come up again, but as he walks up to him, his shadow gets huge and towers over them. And they're kind of reacting to that shadow.
0: Emotions swirl like riptides around Caliban. He absorbs them all, silently screaming at the agony they cause him as he converts their power into palpable physical force and hurls them back at the guards.
1: That's the power that I'm not recalling.
0: So... Basically he has the power to cause people to freak out and absorb that freak outed- outedness and return it to them.
1: Does he have that former power? Cuz it, it definitely seems as though he has the latter where he's able to absorb emotions and turn it into physical strength.
0: But well I feel like they they're freaking out because of there's got to be a reason they're freaking out. I mean his shadow gets huge, that's the reason? Well, ah! <laughs>
1: Uh, Look, I guess I should be looking at this as if this was the first time I was ever reading a story featuring this character. So I can see how you would make that assumption, because that's exactly what's unfolding on these pages. And then his other power is like some sort of mutant detection ability.
0: One of the cops fires off a shot. Blam! And Caliban runs into the elevator, because all sewer dwellers know how to work the elevator.
3: Caliban hurt these humans he did not Calib- mean to
2: Caliban does not need to take the stairs
0: he knows how to use the elevator
1: well he's not like I don't know He's bad.
0: Uh... Caliban senses his people above him not sure which floor I'll have to just push all the buttons <laughs> yeah
1: Uh, Storm points out that Jessica looks like she's distracted and she's she's in investigator mode. She's like,
3: I thought I heard a gunshot (laughs) and a scream, but the sounds were so faint. I'm probably imagining things.
2: She's got the scariest voice of anybody I've ever heard.
1: (laughs) Well, she's a spider woman. She can't just have like a normal girl voice.
2: Poor girl.
1: (laughs) Yeah anyways shush you two they're introducing Dazzler, and out she comes making a light show and singing pitch perfectly and the music is the lights are swirling around with the music she's doing what she loves best
0: a lithe sleek shape clad in skin tight silver a creature of joyous sound and light doing her best cover songs
1: yep but that's when, from the doors of uh, the Infinity, we see Caliban striding in. But look at this. Above the Infinity sign is Caliban's shadow. So it's as if he's How able to work. Exactly. <laughs> he's, he's behind where his actual shadow is being projected. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And, and realistically, and, like you and would not be like- able to, to see through his little eye holes.
0: The elevator opens and people like react immediately. Mm-hmm. It must smell pretty bad.
1: Well, he lives in the sewers. <laughs> Jessica hears the screaming, uh, and that's when Kitty decides that she will turn into X-Man mode, and she will go check it
0: out. And she dives through the bottom of the table. Apparently. Uh, the Apparently she stops on a girder, or no, she under the table. Whoa, I just realized this. Okay, uh, in this next panel where she's halfway through the floor, and halfway uh, you can see somebody's foot there. Yep. So she just changed out of her dress into her X outfit under the table.
1: Having changed into her X-Man costume in a hidden compartment in her purse. She phases through the, uh, deserted floor below and dot, dot, dot. Yes. She got underneath the table, took all of her clothes off and put on her X-Man uniform.
0: So storm was like, kitty. No, why didn't she go under the table and grab her? <laughs> Cause kitty can change really fast. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's a good five or six minutes of like pulling socks off and, (laughs) you know, getting the boots on. And these are skin tight outfits, they don't just go right on, you know. But, anyways, yeah. So So she uh, phases uh, accidentally into an elevator shaft and she starts falling.
2: Gripes, I'm falling. Wait, my mutant abilities just don't just give me the power to face two solid objects. If I concentrate hard enough, I can literally walk on air. Yep. In case you didn't know that from a couple of issues ago.
1: And now she's thinking to herself,
2: If Aurora could see me now, she'd be so proud.
0: But then we come back to Aurora and she's saying, If I get my hands on that child outering her neck, how dare she pull a stunt like that? Changing her clothes so fast I couldn't get her from underneath the table.
1: <laughs> I've got a bad back. I couldn't bend over. Stevie wonders how um, how they're going to...
0: Steve, Stevie wonders?
1: Stevie wonders. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, well, how else am I going to say that?
0: That's just funny.
1: Stevie thinks to herself, How are you going to do that, Aurora? It's wall-to-wall people. You'll never get through that crowd.
0: I'm a mutant, dumb butt. <laughs> I'll just push them aside.
1: But Dazzler realizes that something's going on over at the X-Men's table. Aurora looks upset, so maybe they need a little distraction. So that's when Dazzler starts up a little light show, which gives everybody the cover they need, well, Storm and uh, Spider-Woman, to change into their costumes. And, well, now they're in their costumes. <laughs>
0: Aurora generates a pea soup fog to hide them both while they change into costume.
1: And nobody's panicking inside about, where did this fog come from? <laughs> First the scary shadow,
0: and now the the pea soup fog? Oh, man.
1: Speaking of shadow, uh, Kitty Pride phases from the elevator shaft into the room, only to see a bunch of people running away from the giant shadow, who she can see its huge burning glowing eyes so yes uh Caliban into
0: her mind
1: Caliban has the ability to create like a scary environment by making an oversized shadow and then feeding off of that fear that is his power oh, okay <laughs> this
2: is my cue to call for reinforcements i have a nasty feeling i'm facing more than i can handle hey lego my arm you
3: you are like Caliban. You will come with him. Stay with him. Be his
1: friend. That's kind of toad-like.
2: Well, okay. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not what I want. Thor, Spider-Woman, help me! It's, it's bound to happen eventually. We might as well get it over with. Let's just cut to the chase.
3: I'm doomed to marry this man. <laughs>
1: uh, release the child,
3: Caliban. Then we'll talk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, spider woman for those of you who couldn't guess i i figured it out <laughs> uh,
0: unhand the child within or suffer the consequences
1: storm does refer to kitty pride as sprite in this panel so maybe we should do the same because caliban sure does in the next panel the Sprite child is caliban's you will not take her storm's unhurt that table merely knocked the wind out of her uh so long as Caliban holds kitty, I daren't oh, the, you know what I didn't call all of them out, but they used the contraction darent at least three times in this issue. <laughs> Nobody uses that contraction i don't even know if that's a legal contraction, daren't I daren't unleash my full power of my venom blast anyways, sorry, <laughs> uh, and she also goes on to say, uh, strong as Caliban seems to be, so we've got. Mutant detection, strength, the ability to generate a big shadow that scares people, and then the ability to absorb that into physical power. Mm. That's a lot of powers. This is a very powerful mutant. This this guy, like if he could get his crap together, he, he could be like the next Magneto.
0: It's true. She, could, she dives in, gets in a punch, but he punches her back and knocks her out like a... Out a window,
1: yeah, and this across
0: is, across an entire room. Apparently,
1: this is Spider Woman. Like, this isn't just like a normal patron. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and then it gets kind of confusing because we cut to a panel of Caliban alone, and he says, and he's sliding down the uh, the elevator shaft by himself, and he says, the females were like Caliban. Yet they acted like humans. If Caliban leaves the Sprite Child, perhaps they will not follow. We'll not try to hurt Caliban anymore. And then we cut to the next panel where he's further down the elevator shaft, but now he's holding on to Sprite.
1: Oh, good point. I didn't even notice that.
0: But then Caliban will be alone again. As he has always been alone, it would be better to die. Caliban must hurry. Once he reaches the underground, they will never find him or the Sprite Child, no matter how hard they search. So is he holding on to her in this first panel and we just don't see her?
1: I, I don't know. In the first panel of the page, he is definitely holding on to her. Then we get the punch of Spider-Woman. Then he's in the elevator shaft. But the opening in which he is in... Oh, he, you know what he's doing here? He's he's pushing the elevator doors open so that he can get into the elevator shaft. Oh, okay. But since both of his hands are occupied opening the door, Kitty is just... Sta- must be. We can't see it. Must be just standing next to him being like...
3: Are we going to pick up puddings on the way to the sewers? I'm kind of hungry. <laughs>
1: so after he gets the doors pushed open, then he re-grabs Kitty. Again, I'm, I'm saying all this happens off panel. Grabs her and then jumps into the elevator shaft.
0: Dazzler sees what's going on and feels like everything's going out of control and she better do some super awesome rock and roll in order to get things back in order.
1: Yeah. The band has fled, uh, so she taps into the club's master system Uh, She can't simply dazzle the crowd because she doesn't want to short-circuit their brains, but if she can create enough music, then she can absorb it, and she can create a dazzling light show that can create a hypnotic effect on the audience. And she does, and it works.
0: Yay!
1: (laughs) And so Storm jumps down the elevator shaft. She flies down there, and of course she starts to talk about how she's having a claustrophobic
0: attack, and it's a bad one. Isn't she over that yet? She's had worse than this.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. And it it's, like, all done in one panel. So she's got a lot of dialogue here about, like, I must do this. But I'm having an attack. I must get through it. Oh, I might lose control. Ah, uh, okay, I'm going to do it. So that's all, <laughs> like, in one panel. And I understand, like, we've already had it drawn out in other issues. In fact, one whole issue dedicated to Storm's claustrophobia. So now I'm kind of wondering if, like, Dave Cockrum and Chris Claremont are like, ugh. Like, we have to address it, but, like, I don't really spend a lot of time on it, and so they don't, so.
0: Uh, Spider Woman apparently flies back through the window. I guess she can fly.
1: Oh, yeah! Spider Woman can fly!
2: Stevie, where's Caliban? He jumped down the elevator shaft with Kitty! Storm went after him!
1: She says to. She thinks to herself, Spider Woman, that she's not needed in the Infinity because Dazzler's got that situation.
0: So she runs down the wall of the building to the main uh lobby. It's the only unlocked exit and even if she doesn't beat him down, she'll be able to spot him when he emerges, but she gets there right on time, uh sees him holding an I guess a now unconscious kitty. Yeah. And um maybe that's why he was able to open the elevator cuz she got knocked out before. Is she she f- wasn't just she wasn't just standing around. Asking about pudding.
1: <laughs> Alright, if you say so. My version's better though.
0: Here's another Derent. If it is Caliban's natural habitat, we daren't let him reach it.
1: Yeah. Storm drops a darrent earlier in the issue, I think.
0: End of the line
1: End of the Line, ugly <laughs> It's fun to do, isn't it? <clears throat> no, not at all.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, it does kinda of hurt the old boys.
0: Leave Caliban be. He means no harm. He is like you. Why do you hurt him? Uh
1: Spider Woman wonders like
3: like me? What the devil is he going on about?
1: So she does not realize that he is a mutant who can sense mutants.
0: He tries to she tries to stun him with a venom blast and she says
2: You're stealing a child, Caliban. taking her against her will. You've no right to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Caliban is tired of living alone. All he wants is a friend, one to talk to, to care for, to love. Is that so much to ask for? Since birth,
2: Caliban was hated because he was different. Because of his hideous appearance, his father named him for a monster.
0: Is is Caliban the name of a monster? Uh,
1: I... uh, You should look it up. Like, I I think it's like a...
0: Yeah, wasn't... Wasn't... uh, What was that... Movie that just got remade recently in 3D. Freaks? They just did a sequel of it. It Had Zeus Liam Neeson played Zeus?
1: Human caterpillar
0: <laughs> it was, it was didn't Liam Neeson play Zeus in Human Caterpillar? Also, <laughs> it was Human Centipede. <laughs>
1: oh, whatever. I didn't. I don't think I see. Uh, I don't think I saw either movie.
0: Human Caterpillar is the child version. <laughs> <laughs> human caterpillar.
1: That's horrible. You don't sew a bunch of children together in a movie, Adam. That crosses a line. No,
0: it's a a cartoon. The human caterpillar? A bunch of my little ponies get (laughs) sewn together, and they call it the human caterpillar. See, it's cute
1: because they're my little ponies. Sparkle pony, help me! Uh, Caliban is a character—I was wrong. It's a character from the play The Tempest by William Shakespeare. He is an ugly slave owned by Prospero and is only half human, since his mother is a witch, a woman who has magic powers. Oh, I needed that description. Uh, but his father is a devil, equal and evil spirit. Mm, interesting. So there you go.
0: I wonder who his father was. He was like well-read on Shakespeare. Is like, my child is ugly. I will name him after an ugly character from Shakespeare <laughs> literature. I'm <a> nice dad,
1: <laughs> he is not. Uh, so the Liam Neeson Zeus movie. What was that? Is that? olympus Uh, clash of the
0: titans oh okay i could have swore one of the monsters that he has to fight in the original clash of the titans not the Liam Neeson version was uh caliban caliban but i could be be, be totally off base on that
1: i only i remember him having to fight a medusa and then he had a pegasus and that's
0: he has to he has to fight some guy in a swamp
1: i don't remember it was caliban
0: but maybe not probably not
1: when's the last time you watched that movie
0: I watched it when the Clash of the Titans movie came out because I wanted to see the original.
1: And, and when you watched the original, were you like, yay, this was as great as I remembered as a kid?
0: I was like, this wasn't very good, but it was still better than the remake. <laughs>
1: oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes uh, – look, I, I was – like the remake to me was like a big CGI mess, so I'm not oh, a yeah. huge fan of it. But the re, uh, the original, when I was a kid, man, that movie was like, oh my god – but then my wife and I rented it, and I was like, "Wow, whoa, whoa, boy, my standards of entertainment were low when I was a kid. This is terrible." <laughs> well,
0: it was it was cutting edge technology for the time.
1: I really was it?
0: I think so. Yeah, I, that was one of the uh, the original Harry Harryhausen. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the guy's name was.
1: Yeah, but I thought his whole deal was like he was just really good at kind of independent, low budget. Um, stop motion effects yeah maybe I like know. i don't think it was super high budget i think it was like an achievement just in the fact that they pulled off all of those fec- effects for a limited budget
0: well i don't know if it was if it was cutting cutting uh, or if it was high budget i just know that the the effects were revered for their ambition well for their for for, for being really good for the time or, yeah or maybe not really good for the time but just really impressive that they uh were able to do them I'm with you. They were, they were unique. They were one of a kind. They were, they were, and then they, they're still admired to this day. Yes.
1: I do like the robotic owl. He still amazes me, but that's about it. He
0: had a cameo in the clash of the Titans remake. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Caliban proclaims that he is no monster and that he is a human being. And he is about to stab spider woman in the head with a, uh, light pole.
0: I uh, ran my car into a light pole a couple weeks ago, Oh! and um, it was a short one, and the city charged me $2,000 for it. Jeez! Now I know how much a light pole costs.
1: Do you get to keep the old one? (laughs) No. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) It's not fair at all. Not only that, but it fell under my car.
1: That's terrible.
0: If it had been a full-size one, I I probably wouldn't cost twice that much.
1: That, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, Adam.
0: It's okay. Insurance covered the cost for most, most of it. it. <laughs> well, you know, all of it, but um, my insurance is going to go up probably, so you so will end up paying it back.
1: You'll pay for it in the long run. Right. So, uh, yeah, he rips this light pole clean off the uh, the post, so he's he probably owes more than $2,000 in replacement there.
0: Do you think his insurance will cover it?
1: I doubt it. Caliban has Geico. <laughs> Caliban have huge deductible though. <laughs> <laughs> so, Storm is the one who says stop, and on the next page, she blasts him with a lightning bolt.
0: Well, first she blasts the the light pole with a lightning bolt, right? Which causes Caliban to drop it, and uh, and then Kitty Pride says, "Some
1: X
2: Men I am. I must have fainted." <laughs>
1: No more, please, no more. And so that's when... uh,
0: Getting a little bit of a French accent there.
1: (laughs) No more, please, no more. I give uh, you flowers.
0: And they pull off his hat and his rags and it's Destro! (laughs) Baroness.
1: Where is the Baroness? Cobra Commander, you have failed yet again.
0: I should be in charge. (laughs) I am Destro. I am Destro.
1: Yep, and uh, it is a white-faced, wide-eyed man. You look after
2: Sprite Storm, I'll handle Caliban.
1: Will will you kill
2: Caliban? No, dumb butt. That was (laughs) never our intent.
1: Spider-Woman goes on to tell her that... uh, uh, tell him that he's a mutant, and now she's connected the dots because she's an investigator. You were able to detect me because we're the same. I'm a mutant.
0: <laughs> so to answer your question from when we were doing the Spider-Woman episodes, yes, she's a mutant.
1: Hooray! I don't, I don't
0: even remember if you—I don't, I don't know if you remember asking that at all, but you did.
1: Sounds like a question I would ask. So they were saving that reveal for this issue, I take it?
0: I was. It was probably revealed in Spider-Woman issue one, but oh. <laughs> I didn't read that one.
1: Got it. Uh, Caliban is like, I don't know what a mutant is. I don't know your words. I just sensed you, and I came out of the sewers. Not sure why it took me so long to sense you guys since you've been running around for like the last 40 years.
0: But, here I am. <laughs> I've been stalking this particular nightclub. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Uh, and so he thought that he if he found somebody that was the same as him, then he would have a friend.
0: Yes, sorry.
1: Um and so Storm, being the diplomat, is like, hey man, we're mutants, we're just like you. You can come hang out with us. Like we we'll be your friend. Like, why don't you come with us?
0: But then there are police sirens and Caliban disappears. Just yeah. like that.
2: Caliban realizes that you are offering him exactly what he wants, but he is scared.
0: Caliban, run.
1: Off she goes. And so the Spider Woman says, He
3: chose to return to his underground to live once more in darkness, alone. I know this because I am psychic.
2: <laughs> I detected it with my spider blast. <laughs> you daren't deny my abilities. <laughs>
1: And so they change out of their ex-uniforms and go back to the Club Infinity, which is exactly what you would do after a scary fight with an ugly man from the sewers.
0: <laughs> and they talk about him. Yeah. We should
2: have gone after him. I've been an outcast. In some ways, I still am. I wouldn't wish such a fate on anyone. I mean, have you heard my voice? It's amazing
3: you guys accept me.
1: <laughs> Please, Jessica, do not talk anymore. <laughs> Your voice is hurting my throat.
0: If Professor Xavier not had oh, um, missing word here. If, if 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 Professor Xavier had not found us, we might well become have become like Caliban, hunted, hunted, frightened, alone. But what is done cannot be undone. That's not true. You could go find him.
1: <sighs> you know, Janice Chang has really let us down. This issue. <laughs> <laughs> typos. was first issue. Missing letters, missing characters. Meanwhile, we're uh, back at the uh, aquatic city that came out oh, of wait, the way first show. we
0: get Kitty listens in silence, her own thoughts deep and somber. Since oh, yeah, first yeah. meeting the X-Men, she's always felt uncomfortable around Nightcrawler, not because of his personality, but solely because of his p- appearance, and a little bit because of the smell. Mm-hmm. Tonight's encounter with Caliban has shown her the cost of such an attitude. She hopes with Nightcrawler it isn't too late to try to make amends.
1: Yep. So that you're right. That is a pivotal moment that we should not gloss over. Although I kind of wish that rather than seeing a splash of the city with that, dia- <laughs> that dialogue, the, the, the aquatic city – you, would you get a
0: close-up of Kitty.
1: Yeah, like a close-up of Kitty just kind of like reveling in her 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 uh, bigotry or, or whatever you want to call it. Just kind of like, oh, Staring yeah. off into space. Something, but not like... I've been such a fool. Like, this is a whole other scene, and we're not just carrying dialogue over. We're starting a whole new thought on a different scene. Like, this would never work in a movie. Your audience would be like, what the hell? Anyways, maybe the city is symbolic of that... Uh, that freakishness that nightcrawler is. <laughs> or not. So yeah, uh Lee and uh Alitis. Alitis?
0: so having had sex for the past like eight hours, <laughs> they're finally resting.
1: Scott's like, You wanna do it again?
0: Lee's like, eh,
1: Kinda tired.
0: I'm, I'm a little hungry, Scott.
1: Uh, her clothes are, are, there's even less of her clothes now. Like if They've you,
0: been romping around.
1: <laughs> if you look at the top, it looks like the front doesn't even go around her back anymore. <laughs> like, it's just taped to her boob.
0: Well, no, and then in the next panel, it goes around all the way.
1: Oh, I see. Uh, that's just a trick of the sign. Anyway, so Cyclops is talking about, like,
0: My optic blast to try to stun some fish.
3: Remember last attempt? You pulverized the poor dears.
0: So they've already done this.
1: Yeah, they decided not to talk about the optic blasts. They just decided to use them and just gloss over all of that.
0: <laughs> so if he if he like pulverized the fish last time, why is he even bringing this up? It's I like, I'm going to try that thing that didn't work again. <laughs> well, maybe he's
1: very like positive thing. Like I can do it better this time.
0: I'll... they just like get rid of Aliti's uh little dialogue box and then just cut straight to the ahem.
1: right ahem i uh, i thought I, uh,
0: I thought my island was uh, deserted uh, how pleasant to discover that I was uh, mistaken
1: that's the that's the that's how you're gonna go with this one
0: i'm work it's a work in progress, you know
1: it <laughs> was better last time
0: i oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you've made some
1: changes, and I don't know if they're for the better adam
0: uh, I'm not doing it on purpose i'm I'm slipping into an Italian here <laughs> I'm not trying to
1: yeah an old uh uh Jewish deli purveyor is what you need to imagine here
0: i'm trying uh <laughs> oy,
1: that's a little oy. bit better. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I thought uh, I thought I thought my island was uh, deserted. Uh, how pleasant to discover that I uh, made a mistake. Uh, you know,
1: <laughs> it's not Rodney Dangerfield.
0: Well, it's what I'm working with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cyclops uh, recognizes the voice and thinks to himself, "It can't be Lee."
0: He thinks to himself. Whatever you do, don't mention my name. If he hears that, if he heard me refer to my optic blast, if he even suspects who I truly am, we're both as good as dead. Lee's like, oh, man, are we glad to see you,
3: Mr. Man in the Red Uniform with the red helmet that looks actually a little bit ominous and foreboding. Um,
0: eh, don't worry about it. I'm am a, I'm a Jew.
1: <laughs> He's like, it smells like fish in here. And Lee's like, that's gross.
0: What are, you, what are you guys been doing? Uh?
1: <laughs> Cyclops quickly says, fishing. <laughs> Not with optic
0: blasts, though. No one here has optic blasts. <laughs> no, sir.
1: Nobody knows who you are, Magneto. Uh, I mean, Mr. <laughs> Nito Mr. Nito. Uh I'm going to go over here now. I bid you welcome to my new home. Oi, though your arrival was unanticipated, an I shall do all I can to ensure that your stay is as pleasant as possible. That—that's my Jewish. So, I don't know that I have anything over you.
0: I—I <laughs> I, I just have to like if I can get into it, it—it it, it can be good. But I—I I just have trouble getting into it.
1: And this is this is a full page spread of a magneto. Triumphantly standing, holding up the as he cape.
0: often gets he's holding a piece of his cape,
1: yeah um as the host speaks, Scott feels a fist device closed tight around his heart, alone in the middle of nowhere, with an innocent woman by his side, and the way to his es- and uh, no way to escape, much less summon assistance, he stands face to face with the master of magnetism, the x- men's oldest, deadliest foe. he can't wait to see what happens next, wait, really. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be more like he is terrified of what will happen
0: next? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Man, uh, I can't wait to see what happens next. We're gonna die. This is gonna be
1: awesome. Uh, next, so and the cool next, and the dead shall bury the living. Yay!
0: This issue is brought to you by the letter X, also the word darent and, and dumbbutt. But
1: <laughs> so, two couple of things about this issue. I kind of like it because it's 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 more of a bridge issue. Like nothing really happens, uh but it just kind of resets from like the last big adventure, and uh, is clearly building us up to the next uh, adventure, which will feature Magneto. But at the same time, we introduce a, a new character who has some erratic powers. um So I like that. And then the other thing is. Um I don't I, even though I kind of made fun of it uh I don't really mind so much uh, Spider-Woman's cameo in the issue because the way they write her is they write her as if she's a friend and it would be perfectly normal for her to be hanging around with these people and just bad things just happen to happen.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and the well, reason I mean and and having read Spider-Woman issue 37 and 38 we know that they are they've hung out before.
1: Right. Whereas like a lot of Spider-Man cameos, it's just like, you know, Spider-Man swings is like, hey, it's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. They're like, hey, Spider-Man. And off he goes. And it's like, there was a pointless cameo. And so that's kind of a staple in at least, I don't know, 80s and 90s X, well, mostly 80s, I think, where some of these characters are just friends with the X-Men and every now and again are just there because, well, that's what friends do, right? And they just happen to be action hero crime fighters so they that's do that too that's
0: what friends are for
1: exactly in good, good times, times and bad times,
0: bad times the they'll
1: I be on know. your side forever more you stopped you dropped out
0: perfect strangers <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: an interesting thing in this uh month's marvel bulletins bullpen bulletins this is oh, something yeah. that um always always curious to me so like In the little picture box where you have all the characters' heads, there's a a price and a number, and usually a month. On some older X-Men issues, it's a rectangle with like a little globe underneath the price tag. And I always kind of was like, that's the normal way it should be. But every now and then, in my collection anyways, there'll be like this double diamond shape where it doesn't have that globe, and it's missing a series of numbers. And that to me was always like the odd one. Like that one just didn't make sense to me. Do you know what I'm referring to?
0: No, but okay, I, okay, I see it now. Event,
1: yes. Yeah, I mean, eventually these will turn into like an M and then they'll go on to be something else. But at least in this bolt, the, the thing that's interesting about this is they go on to explain what they are. This The rectangular one is used by one of their comic distributors to delineate like runs or whatever. Apparently that number that's underneath the month means something to them, but it means nothing to Marvel. They have no idea what it's for. And then they talk about the diamonds being like the artful way to display the numbers and the the price. And I always felt like this little diamond thing was was a lot uglier than the other one. Uh, But really the meat here is that um, a lot of people have been writing in asking about this because there's a lot of concern among collectors that the variants will be worth different prices. Mm. Hmm. So even in 1981 or 2, people are like,
2: What?
3: There's two different covers. I got to get them both. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um wow. yeah the double diamond one was uh distributed to comic book specialty shops whereas the other one was uh to wholesalers like uh newsstands drugstores they specify 7-elevens separately so the 7-eleven must have been huge at this time <laughs> and other magazine outlets across the country
0: so now when you go back and buy all your old issues you have to buy two copies
1: yeah and uh they, they also talk about like um Uh, people wanting to know which one's going to be the more collectible one or something like that, and Marvel's response is like, hey, you're the marketplace, you decide. It's only worth what people are willing to pay for it.
0: Whichever sells more is going to be worth more.
1: Is that how that works? I think so. Whatever sells more? No, but whatever sells less.
0: No, whatever sells more because that one, therefore, is more valuable because more people bought it.
1: No, it's a supply and demand thing. If there's half
0: well, of... this is it, it, not a supply and demand issue because the supply and demand are, presumably, we don't know what they are. We don't, know what the, we don't know what the supply is or the demand.
1: Whichever one is perceived to be more rare, i.e. lower distribution, is going to be the but, one that's worth more.
0: But there's no way to know that.
1: There is not. That's why I said perceived.
0: So in a case where you don't know which, which one there is more than the one that sells the most is therefore the one that will be worth the most.
1: Only if the marketplace decides that that one is the one that's more rare.
0: Well, (laughs) in a marketplace where the one that sells the most is more likely that – because the way that the marketplace works is the ones that don't sell go back to the publishers and usually get scrapped.
1: Oh, but those didn't sell. So that one might be more rare.
0: Well, they might might be more rare, but they also uh, might not – there might not be any of them.
1: Right. Well, so, so yeah. I don't know. So they're more rare.
0: Well, are they? Uh, I have, I have, we
1: because the <laughs> the ones that were direct distribution, like, that was the deal. Is like, you bought them, they're yours. So the comic shops kind of got screwed, whereas the newsstands could be like, yeah, well, we only sold two of these 20 copies you sent me, so here's 18 copies back. You deal with them. So yes. in either case, one of those two variants is going to be, it doesn't matter what the print run is. It just matters what's in circulation. So, whichever one of those is more rare is probably going to be the one that's worth more. That's not necessarily always the case, though, because the variant might have a cooler graphic, even though it had a, a bigger distribution, it might be more desirable because it looks better.
0: Well, my argument stems from this. When Ghost Rider number one came out in the 90s, mm-hmm. somebody went out and bought like a thousand copies of it. Like okay. one person bought a thousand copies of it. Okay. And overnight, its value went up. Well, that's because to it's, like twenty dollars.
1: That's a supply and demand thing. He had he had cornered the market. He had bought well, I'm guessing a thousand copies isn't buying up the market, but
0: that he, he had in no way cornered the market. But he had placed a, a value on it. Suddenly they sold that many more copies of it. Therefore, it was worth more.
1: Well, but that nowadays
0: Ghostwriter number one is not worth anything.
1: Right, but I mean that that thing has happened a lot though with a, with a lot of issues from the 90s where the perceived value immediately after their sales was way high but today you look back and they're worthless.
0: Well, then you have your X-Men number 1 which probably sold like 20 times that many copies as Ghost Rider number 1.
1: Right. I don't think that, that was ever I don't
0: think that ever went up in value. Right.
1: Well, that's cuz they made like a billion copies of that.
0: And I own half of them.
1: <laughs> I'm sure there's a good 25 copies in my collection as well five copies of each cover
0: oh uh, what were we thinking
1: uh, we were thinking like everybody else was thinking this is yeah. gonna be worth the fortune oh well people and the
0: sad. comic book shop is thinking cha-ching
1: oh yes i'm sure they were so was marvel yeah everybody won except for us <laughs> <laughs> we lost
0: and the hey. comics industry in the end.
1: And then the comics industry lost. So, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess everybody lost because there's hardly any specialty shops left.
0: Yeah, and there's yeah, comic book shops lost. Basically, we created a bubble.
1: Yeah, overnight and almost. The
0: bubble, and the bubble popped.
1: Man, we can thank X-Men number one for that, I think.
0: Way to go, X-Men number one. You're a jerk. <laughs>
1: All right, so uh, we got some some letters and stuff this week. Uh, we got a tweet from Georgie V. who says, At Danger Room Go, you should write the Doom and Magneto Perfect Strangers webcomic. I smell Eisner. Well, I can't draw.
0: And I can't draw.
1: So that idea's out. But you know what I could see? And we're not going to do it because we just we don't have the time is I could see, like, a like a, a weekly, like, uh, Doom, Magneto, Perfect Strangers. I hesitate to use the word blog, but ongoing written series, you know?
0: Well, hey, uh, if, if I can get my Magneto voice down, and you can get your Dr. Doom voice down, then maybe we could just do an audio show, you know?
1: Oh, man, it would be something if we could write it, and then it would be, like, a five-minute segment at the end of Danger Room. Like the continuing series of Doctor Doom and Magneto and Perfect Strangers.
0: Hey, Doctor Doom, why don't you vacuum the floor every once in a while? What's going on here?
1: I am Doom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the thing writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know, Georgie V. That's a it's a great idea. I think it would be f- I think it would be hilarious. Uh, will Adam yes. and I do it? That's a good question.
0: Probably not.
1: To me that's something that you don't wing, you don't you don't improvise. To me that's something that like you have to write.
0: It might become an oncoming an ongoing joke. Who knows? Sure. He also writes that he is in fact listening from Tokyo and that if we have any language questions, uh we should ask about them. Okay. So my first language question is, do Japanese people really say what they're saying in Japanese and then English? <laughs>
1: And my question about foreign languages: Can you please help us out with Magneto's middle name and other naming issues? Not Magneto, <laughs> Colossuses.
0: Well, he's he's in Tokyo. He didn't
1: specify they had to be Japanese-related. Oh, I see. <laughs> eh, fine.
0: Uh, Edward Gibson III writes us on the Facebook. He has some suggestions on how to handle the future expansion of X Bucks in the podcast. He thinks that when New Mutants and X-Factor hits, it'd be great to hear them quickly recap the way you've done at the end of the podcast with similar books like Avengers, Marvel team-ups, and now Dazzlers for additional X-Men appearances. Maybe when it's a huge crossover like the Mutant Mutant Massacre or Inferno, that's what you can put two or three issues into one review the same way you did with the X-Men appearances during the reprint years. Thanks again for the podcast. Keep up the great work. Those are definitely uh, possibilities that we are uh, yeah. considering.
1: Those are good ideas. Um, but,
0: uh, but like as I've said before, we'll figure it out. Like, like when we get there, really.
1: Right. Right.
0: But uh, yeah, keep sending your suggestions and ideas. And if if one comes along that like it's like gold, we'll be like, that's the ticket. That's the right one. there. Do yeah, a podcast every day. <laughs>
1: For the entirety of uh, Zero Tolerance.
0: <laughs> to line up with the Zero Tolerance movie. <laughs> yes. Coming soon.
1: I don't know what that storyline is about. But I opened up uh, the, the omnibus of it, and I was not impressed by the artwork inside.
0: Is Was that my copy of the omnibus that you opened up?
1: No, they had a copy of it. There's a used bookstore here in Madison uh, that I kind of went on a little omnibus binge. Well, they only had like four, and I bought three of the four. And I was like, this place is awesome. They've always got Omnibuses in stock. Well, turns out they must have had these for a couple of years because since I bought the ones that I bought, there haven't been any that have backfilled them. <laughs> so, oops. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, as soon as you know, Fall of the Mutants comes in, I'll buy that. And as soon as this other one comes in, I'll buy that. And no, there's there's nothing left. I ended up buying Extinction Agenda and Executioner's Song, which I have not read yet.
0: Well, you read it when it came out
1: no i didn't i read I, I think that was at the end of my buying so i think i was buying the issues but i wasn't i don't think i was actually reading the content
0: you must have been reading the content because you were still in canton then
1: for Executioner's song yeah uh, Executioner's song is after extinction agenda and extinction agenda is very close to like my x-men comics falling out like extinction
0: I, agenda is when you and i first started collecting together was it yeah, because like we went to the whatever that store was called, and they had all the back issues of. That's when you bought like all of Extinction Agenda for a dollar each, and they were supposed to be worth something.
1: <laughs> what are they worth today?
0: Uh, who cares? <laughs> I don't know. Huh. Look it up.
1: All right, I'm not going to uh... look it
0: up, dumb bud. <laughs> all right,
1: okay. I don't, I don't, I, I don't remember a single. You're right, actually. No, you, you are, you're. You're actually correct the, about that.
0: Um, yeah, the Executioner's song came every, like every issue was polybagged with a card, and it was like a 16 part series that stretched through X Men, Uncanny X Men, X Force, and X Factor. And uh, I think we, I think we, were, we both bought them all, and we were both still reading them at the time. And it was shortly after that that I know that I, I gave up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we bought two copies each. Maybe like one for Probably. the poly bag card and then one to read. But I swear, like, I mean, I, I know we bought them all and I know I have a lot of them, if not all of them. But I couldn't tell you what happens in that story. I remember like being very disinterested, but still going through the motions. I mean, I was still reading comics. Like I would still buy like whatever the latest Predator four part Dark Horse series was. And I'd read those. Uh, Shade the Changing Man. Uh, oh, Deathlock. I like that. But the X-Men, I just got kind of tired of. So I bought them, but I just, I don't, I don't think I processed the stories. I probably read them, but I don't remember them. So hmm. anyhow, but the short of the long is that they don't backfill their Omnibuses. So it's been a while since I picked one up. And they do have maximum or zero tolerance, uh, and I just haven't bought it because I'm like, that's so far away. It. The podcast and you know, $20. I picked it up
0: because we'll get there eventually. <laughs>
1: Well, anyways. Uh, Joseph uh, Darowski uh, wrote us, and he said that he gave us a little insight on the X-Men number 143 and Alien connection, and he actually brought a quote from John Byrne, who said that, uh, I don't want to paraphrase this, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he wanted to do an homage to Alien, uh, and he thought that as he was drawing the Alien, he thought he was adding a lot of curves and lines and such, that it was like, it was identifiable, but not instantly recognizable. Uh, but he he says that the only thing was the ending where she uses the blackbird to blast the thing was the same as the movie. Uh, but then he kind of throws Chris Claremont under the bus by saying that when Chris wrote it, he made it even more like the movie. And uh, he thought to himself, oh, well, wait till the lawsuit comes. And he had fun with the story, had a ball, and it was a great uh, issue to go out with a bang with.
0: I went back and I watched the end of Alien, and uh, so yeah. After she gets into the space suit, after she has been bikini clad, yep. She sl- she slowly buckles herself in to the uh, the chair, and then she starts shooting the ventilator shafts to get the alien to come out of her it, its its hiding place. Mm-hmm. And when it does, she shoots it with a spear, and the spear uh, knocks it out of the spaceship and, and she opens up the uh, the hatch to the outdoors and since, since she's seat belted in she doesn't go flying out, the, uh, out into space but the alien does but it's still hung on to the hook and it's like bouncing uh, out into the back and forth on the back of the plane mm-hmm. and that's when she turns on the ignition and the blasters blast it and disintegrate the hook and the alien doesn't really appear to die. He, I mean, he gets blasted by flames, but then just ends up flying off into space. So hmm. I don't know if he actually dies or not. I
1: don't anyway, know. Anyway,
0: yes, they use the thrusters to to blast the alien.
1: And uh, he, he, uh, Joe, who is, a, who is a, a writer of The Ages of X-Men and uh, The X-Men and The Mutant Metaphor, both are available on Amazon, um, he sent us a copy of each uh, and uh, Adam and I at some point soon will read those and talk about them on our podcast
0: indeed i've already started reading my copy
1: well i read i like as soon as i got it i was like well oh, this is cool and i started reading like the first chapter
0: well mine's like a collection of essays so i i've uh, i kind of skipped around and jumped for what was interesting i was reading about the feminism of kitty pride and jean gray as a as a, a feminist outcast it was interesting
1: yeah so good stuff there uh so we hope to be able to uh report more on that uh and so thank you joe for for sending those our way and uh we'll read them and we'll pimp them out for
0: you yes we will you'll get you'll get the danger room bump <laughs>
1: that's right that's what every publisher wants to hear the danger room bump your sales will go up by at least two <laughs> <laughs> So if you'd like to join in on the fun, visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com, where all the episodes are. You can post a comment or download your favorite episode, or you can email us at redcat or DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com. You can visit us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash DangerRoomPodcast. Follow us at DangerRoomGo, that is on the Twitters, or you could call us, uh, 501-GET-X-MEN, Uh, By this time, you've definitely heard that we've had at least one voicemail come out of the podcast, and we would like to hear snippets of more fans. Uh, That would be cool. Um, You can also go out to iTunes. Go out to the iTunes store, type in Danger Room. We'll come up right away. Uh, You can give us a five-star review, leave some comments, download some episodes, subscribe, what have you, and that will be fun for everybody. The Facebook page is at, like, 165 likes, so let's have a... On our
0: way to 200.
1: Yeah, let's have a like drive. Um, The 200th like gets a free signed piece of paper (laughs) emailed to them from Adam and Jeremy.
0: We'll even sketch on it.
1: Yes. Hey, that's what we'll do. The 200th like gets... Adam and Jeremy's drawing of Dr. Doom and Magneto as perfect strangers.
0: Oh, really?
1: It doesn't have to be good, Adam. It could be a stick figure (laughs) with Magneto's helmet. And it doesn't matter how good or how bad it is. We'll, We'll sketch that up. And since we're in two different cities, like, I'll have to sketch up my half and then, like, send it to you, and then you sketch up your half. <laughs> and
0: then I'll send it off to one of my artist friends. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. It's got to be your. And then you have to sign it. You have to autograph it.
0: And, oh, I'll sign it and autograph it. Just, <laughs> you know.
1: And then we will email that drawing to the 200th like. And and that person can decide like, I want to share this, with, this wor- with the world, and they can post it. Or they can decide to themselves like, no, this is for me. And they don't have to share it with anybody.
0: I'm going to see if I can get one of my artist friends to do a professional rendering of what would Doctor Doom and uh, and and Magneto be as like perfect strangers.
1: Are they cousins? So is it like uh, cousin Mag, cousin Magneto, uh, cousin Magneto? I don't understand your ways in America.
0: Oh, what's uh, I don't know. As you just let's go to the movies. <laughs> uh, I am Power. <laughs> we have no movies in.
1: Where am I from? Latvia. Yeah. Latvia. <laughs> what a country. All right, anyways. Um, I read Dazzler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this
0: is Dazzler versus Hulk, isn't it?
1: Oh, my goodness. It is Dazzler versus Hulk. Um, you would think that maybe this issue, since it came out at uh, the same time as X-Men uh, 148 that we just read, like there might be a little bit of a tie-in. There's not.
0: No, I wouldn't expect that at all. Oh,
1: okay. This issue has zero importance or impact on the Marvel Universe as a whole or the X-Men's life. But anyway, the Hulk. Um, that remains to be seen because this is a two-parter. Oh, okay. Uh, so anyways, Dazzler, she is going to fight the Hulk, uh, but she has gotten together with a new band. And uh, one of the band members is this little fat kid with red hair who every bit of dialogue, whether he's thinking or talking, is like, When are we going to have lunch? Come on, everybody, I'm hungry. Well, maybe I can sneak in some of this sandwich. It's it's very cliche and bad. Um, Harry Osgood has booked a concert for Dazzler and the newly formed band. Uh, but the catch is, it's a country and western show. Dazzler's like, I don't know
3: country and western.
1: And Harry's like, that's okay. You'll learn it by tomorrow. And she asks if they're going to get paid. And she, he says, uh, you will be rewarded. He doesn't say paid. So we'll see what that means.
0: That's interesting because in the issue we just read, they when they were talking about Dazzler's performance, they said she was mixing country and western and funk and all oh. these different hybrids of music. So, so so this must take place before this issue.
1: Uh, sure, That's, that works for me. That kid's still talking about sandwiches and stuff. But anyways, after that, uh, Dazzler heads on down to the subway. She's making her way home, and uh, the Satan's Creeps gang show up. <laughs> <laughs> And Satan's creeps is led by a name, man named Ratso. And Ratso would like to Ratso pick... Ratso Rizzo. Ratso Rizzo, if only. Not nope, just Ratso. But he's pushing over old men trying to take their wallets. And there's a couple kind of standing off panel that are like, we should do something. And the other guys are like, no, we're just going to get killed. Just mind our own business. But then Dazzler swings in and is like, don't pick on that old man. And he hits Ratso, or she hits Ratso with his per- with her purse. Boy, I'm having a problem with these sexes here. <laughs> Ratso's all like, nobody does that to Ratso, baby. Nobody. And then Dazzler's like, I'm in trouble. And here's the problem that I have is she's like, I need to dazzle him, but there's not enough sound around here. So I guess what they're trying to establish is that Dazzler is not like a battery. Like she does not charge up and store sound to then convert into uh, uh light it has to be like a real-time thing because they spend a long time like two pages where she's like there's no sound oh my god i'm gonna get cut rats is coming towards her she's like i don't have my skates so i'm not very mobile but down the subway there's a train coming but it's just not making very much noise she's like come on come on get closer get closer eventually at one point the train stops and she's panicking and the train starts up again The woman and the man who were standing off to the side earlier, they're like, Arthur, you should do something. They're going to kill that girl. And he's still like, no, no, we just need to protect ourselves. Finally, the train gets close enough and makes a rattle and a roar, so much so that that, uh, Dazzler is able to take that sound and convert it into light. And she blasts the uh, Satan's creeps away. And basically saves everybody in the subway, but that's when the Arthur guy and the woman who were talking earlier about protecting themselves is like, She's a freak! She's a mutant! I'll grab her and you get her! And Dazzler is then now like, Man, I can't believe how people are so prejudiced. So That's kind of a turning point in the Dazzler character. She's getting some mutant hysteria treatment there. So she heads back to her apartment, and she meets up with the doctor, if you remember the doctor from the last episode. Dr. Uh, uh No, it's Dr. I don't remember what it is. Dr. Paul, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil?
1: Dr. Phil, which is really weird because uh, apparently they've never kissed before, but after the hard day that she has had and presumably he has had, they go in for a long smooch. And uh, Doctor Paul is like, "I've got the day off. Let's go celebrate." And Dash was like, "That sounds great." So they race up to her apartment. And he Wait,
0: lives- isn't she at his office?
1: No, like he he went. She went home, and he was waiting for her at the base of her apartment.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And so, like you're thinking as you're reading this, like Doctor Paul. Is gonna be like, let's go out on a date, but he's like, No, let's go up to your apartment. Wow. <laughs> it's really fast. And he and he does. And Dazzle's like, Oh man, this is awesome. We're gonna go to my apartment. This is gonna be great. And then they're about to like start kissing again when Dr. Paul gets paged and he's like, Oh, I gotta work, baby. But I'm off this weekend so we can hang out then and she's like, No. She thinks to herself,
3: I've got a country and western gig. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Outside, there's an ominous bald person who is standing. So it's not the professor. Uh, is it the Hulk? It, no, he's bald and he's small, and he's a—he's oh. uh, just is it kind. Was that the Bruce Banner? Of, is it Bruce Banner? Uh, no, he's bald, Adam.
0: Maybe Bruce Banner shaved his head.
1: I don't believe that it is Bruce Banner. <laughs> okay. But this ominous bald man is staring up at Dazzler's window, and there's no real description for it. So they head off, uh, Dazzler and the band, to perform their concert. Uh, And it's on uh, a university campus, which leads right into Bruce Banner, who is walking around as Bruce Banner, who's on the very same campus because he has heard that there is the Hall of Science in this university that may have some top secret genetic research that he can use to try to control the Hulk that's inside of him. So (laughs) he tries to get a job as a janitor, but the woman is like... Uh, I'll need to see some social security number. And Bruce Banner's like, well, I've got mine memorized. And she's like, look, if you were somebody respectable, a scientist or something, then I would let you just tell me what your social security number is. But for you, I need to see it. And he's like, oh, man, I don't have a social security card. (laughs) But then he starts to feel his pulse racing. He's like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. So right now he's controlling his Hulk rages with the use of some tranquilizer pills. So he's able to calm himself down. He's kind of wandering around the campus, and that's when Dazzler's bodyguard spots him and says, hey, you want to help be a roadie on Dazzler's show? And he's like, well, this is perfect. Like, I can just kind of blend in, and this will get me access to the university. So he takes the 10 bucks, and he's a roadie for Dazzler's show. Dazzler enters the scene after the stage is set up and is like, hey, Bruce. So apparently they've met. Uh, but she she doesn't know that he's Bruce Banner and the Hulk. She just knows him as Bruce the Roadie. She's like, you can help me, or you can stay backstage and watch the show. And he's like, nah. So <laughs> he walks off, I've not care for a show, <laughs> in a very uh, lonely man walk. He's walking away into a dimly lit. Um, Um, alleyway with a single light shining on him so you can totally hear the Hulk music as he's walking away Uh, and uh, Dazzler's like wow I feel bad for that poor guy he's carrying a lot of baggage but anyways she goes out and she performs a country and western show and she's like are you ready for a rootin' tootin' evening? I know I am! to which I would say all the country and western fans immediately would throw their beer bottles at her (laughs) nobody's rooting and tooting out here lady anyways uh she apparently is knocking this country and western show out of the park because the audience is digging it bruce banner meanwhile is in a tree and he breaks into a window he's going to find the stuff in the hall of science but that's when one of the security guards is like hey look look at that drifter trying to sneak in here into our science lab that's that's not cool So they send a couple security guards out who chase him, and, of course, he gets chased away, and his heart starts to race, and as he's going for one of his Hulk tranquilizers, another guard comes in, knocking the pills out of his hand. He drops them. He falls to the ground, and guess what happens, Adam?
0: He turns into the Hulk. He
1: turns into (laughs) (laughs) She-Hulk. No, he turns into the Hulk, and he's like, Hulk smash, just want people to leave alone, and he throws people around. He just does normal Hulk stuff. Meanwhile, Dazzler's on stage. She's singing a show. She's dazzling because that's what she does. Everybody in the audience thinks it's part of the light show. And that's when Hulk is like, there's music. That's how I get out of here. So he comes out on stage and he's wrecking up equipment. The band gets scared and they run off and the audience is starting to panic. And Dazzler's like, I got to do something so nobody gets hurt. So he Dazzle blasts the Hulk, which temporarily knocks him down. But it's the Hulk after all. Uh, hulk chases after dazzler with a part of uh, a wall that he has ripped down but dazzler uses a power that i've never seen her use she's like i've only practiced this a couple times she makes a uh, vague hologram of a tank which momentarily start startles, uh, startles uh, the hulk giving dazzler enough time to jump out of the way when he throws a brick wall at her I didn't know that she could make holograms of tanks, but apparently she can. Tomorrow. <laughs> Hulk is mad because now he's figured out. Like, oh, the shiny light—he's trying to trick me. I'm gonna go get her. And he did, uh,
0: did he say Hulk smash yet?
1: Yeah, uh, he has not said Hulk smash yet. And actually, I don't think he says Hulk smash this entire issue. Oh, disappointing. I, I know. So she's trying to hypnotize him and stuff, but eventually uh, he she uh, pushes him over into one of the power consoles that's driving the stage show, which puts thousands of volts of electricity through the Hulk, causing him to topple to the ground, and Dazzler thinks that she has killed the Hulk. So she runs over to see how he is, and she's like, I'm sorry, Hulk, I didn't mean to! And that's when Hulk's like, ugh, I'm a Hulk, and pushes her away. And so she goes flying, and Hulk tears up the stadium. By this time, though, all of the audience members have been able to leave. So they're they're good. They're happy. Uh, And then Dazzler's kind of like, man, I was just like a momentary distraction for this guy. Like, I'm, I'm insignificant into the power of the Hulk. And so she's trying to figure out, like, well, maybe I should just let it be. Or I guess... Since the Hulk is going to go onto campus, there's a possibility that a lot of students could get hurt. So she decides to tear after the Hulk and take care of him, or at least stop him from hurting anybody. And that same ominous, bald-headed man who is looking through her window is now watching her leave the destroyed auditorium for some reason. And that's the end of the issue.
0: Does Hulk ever say, Hulk no like disco?
1: No, he doesn't say that either.
0: What a letdown.
1: This is also the first issue that contains a letters section in which every single letter is like, Dazzler is awesome! So, I'm thinking they cherry-picked a lot of letters. (laughs) (laughs) So, there you go. That's Dazzler number six. All right. Adam, what did you read this week?
0: I read Avengers number 210, but I'm going to save it for next episode because... uh, it takes place after Annual Avengers Annual number ten.
1: Wait, so. does that mean we're not going to cover an X Men issue next year, week?
0: I don't want to spoil anything, so uh, <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that. So stay tuned next week for what will most assuredly be a double sized issue episode.
0: It'll it, there will there will definitely be a comic book involved.
1: Maybe two.
0: Maybe, maybe two and a half.
1: (laughs) So until next time, everybody, the Danger Room is closed.
2: Sometimes the world looks perfect. Nothing to rearrange. Sometimes you just get a feeling like you need some kind of change. No matter.